Section 10 The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner Written by himself by James Hogg This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Before this time, Mrs. Logan had risen up, and when the narrator had finished, she was standing with her arms stretched upwards at their full length, and her visage turned down, on which were portrayed the lines of the most absolute horror. The dark suspicions of my late benefactor have been just, and his last prediction is fulfilled, cried she. The murderer of the accomplished George Calwain has been his own brother, set on, there is little doubt, by her who bear them both, and her directing angel, the self-justified bigot. Ay, and yonder they sit, enjoying the luxury so dearly purchased, with perfect impunity. If the Almighty do not hurl them down, blasted with shame and confusion, there is no hope of retribution in this life. And by his might, I will be the agent to accomplish it. Why did the man not pursue the foul murderers? Why did he not raise the alarm and call the watch? He, the wretch, he durst not move from the shelter he had obtained. No, not for the soul of him. He was pursued for his life at the moment when he first flew into my arms. But I did not know it. No, I did not then know him. May the curse of heaven and the blight of hell settle on the detestable wretch. He pursued for the sake of justice? No. His efforts have all been for evil, but never for good. But I raised the alarm. Miserable and degraded as I was, I pursued and raised the watch myself. Have you not heard the name of Bell Calvert coupled with that hideous and mysterious affair? Yes, I have. In secret, often I have heard it. But how came it that you could never be found? How came it that you never appeared in defense of the Honorable Thomas Drummond? You, the only person who could have justified him. I could not, for I then fell under the power and guidance of a wretch who durst not for the soul of him be brought forward in the affair. And what was worse, his evidence would have overborne mine, for he would have sworn that the man who called out and fought Colwain was the same he met leaving my apartment, and there was an end of it. And moreover, it is well known that this same man, this wretch of whom I speak, never mistook one man for another in his life, which makes the mystery of the likeness between this incendiary and Drummond the more extraordinary. If it was Drummond, after all that you have asserted, then are my surmises still wrong? There is nothing of which I can be more certain than that it was not Drummond. 
we have nothing on earth but our senses to depend upon. If these deceive us, what are we to do? I own I cannot account for it, nor ever shall be able to account for it as long as I live. Could you know the man in black, if you saw him again? I think I could, if I saw him walk or run. His gait was very particular. He walked as if he had been flat-soled, and his legs made of steel, without any joints in his feet or ankles. The very same! The very same! The very same! Pray, will you take a few days' journey into the country with me? To look at such a man? You have preserved my life, and for you I will do anything. I will accompany you with pleasure, and I think I can say that I will know him, for his form left an impression on my heart not soon to be effaced. But of this I am sure, that my unworthy companion will recognize him, and that he will be able to swear to his identity every day as long as he lives. Where is he? Where is he? Oh, Mrs. Calvert, where is he? Where is he? He is the wretch whom you heard giving me up to the death, who, after experiencing every mark of affection that a poor, ruined being could confer, and after committing a thousand atrocities of which she was ignorant, became an informer to save his diabolical life and attempted to offer up mine as a sacrifice for all. We will go by ourselves first, and I will tell you if it is necessary to send any farther. The two dames, the very next morning, dressed themselves like country goodwives, and hiring two stout ponies furnished with pillions, they took their journey westward, and the second evening after leaving Edinburgh, they arrived at the village about two miles below Dahl Castle, where they alighted. But Mrs. Logan, being anxious to have Mrs. Calvert's judgment, without either hint or preparation, took care not to mention that they were so near to the end of their journey. In conformity with this plan, she said, after they had sat a while, Hey-ho! But I am weary! What? Suppose we should rest a day here before we proceed farther on our journey. Mrs. Calvert was leaning on the casement and looking out when her companion addressed these words to her, and by far too much engaged to return any answer, for her eyes were riveted on two young men who approached from the farther end of the village. And at length, turning round her head, she said, with the most intense interest. Proceed farther on our journey, did you say? That we need not do, for as I live, here comes the very man. Mrs. Logan ran to the window, and behold, there was indeed Robert Ringham Colwain, now the laird of Dahl Castle, coming forward almost below their window walking arm in arm with another young man. And as the two passed, the latter looked up and made a sly signal to the two dames, biting his lip, winking with his left eye, and nodding his head. 
Mrs. Calvert was astonished at the recognizance, the young man's former companion having made exactly such another signal on the night of the duel by the light of the moon. And it struck her, moreover, that she had somewhere seen this young man's face before. She looked after him, and he winked over his shoulder to her. But she was prevented from returning his salute by her companion, who uttered a loud cry, between a groan and shriek, and fell down on the floor with a rumble, like a wall that had suddenly been undermined. She had fainted quite away, and required all her companion's attention during the remainder of the evening for she had scarcely ever well recovered out of one fit before she fell into another, and in the short intervals she raved like one distracted or in a dream. After falling into a sound sleep by night, she recovered her equanimity, and the two began to converse seriously on what they had seen. Mrs. Calvert averred that the young man who passed next to the window was the very man who stabbed George Cowain in the back, and she said she was willing to take her oath on it at any time when required, and was certain, if the wretch Ridsley saw him, that he would make oath to the same purport, for that his walk was so peculiar no one of common discernment could mistake it. Mrs. Logan was in great agitation and said, it is what I have suspected all along, and what I am sure my late master and benefactor was persuaded of, and the horror of such an idea cut short his days. That wretch, Mrs. Calvert, is the born brother of him he murdered, sons of the same mother they were, whether or not of the same father, the Lord only knows. But, oh, Mrs. Calvert, that is not the main thing that has discomposed me and shaken my nerves to pieces at this time. Who do you think the young man was who walked in his company tonight? I cannot for my life recollect, but I am convinced I have seen the same fine form and face before. And did not he seem to know us, Mrs. Calvert? You, who are able to recollect things as they happened, did he not seem to recollect us and make signs to that effect? He did indeed, and apparently with great good humor. Oh, Mrs. Calvert, hold me, else I shall fall into hysterics again. Who is he? Who is he? Tell me who you suppose he is, for I cannot say my own thought. On my life I cannot remember. Did you note the appearance of the young gentleman you saw slain that night? Do you recollect aught of the appearance of my young master, George Cowain? Mrs. Calvert sat silent and stared the other mildly in the face. Their looks encountered, and there was an unearthly amazement that gleamed from each, which, meeting together, caught real fire and returned the flame to their heated imaginations, till the two associates became like two statues, with their hands spread, their eyes fixed, and their chops fallen down upon their bosoms. 
an old woman who kept the lodging house, having been called in before when Mrs. Logan was faintish, chanced to enter at this crisis with some cordial, and seeing the state of her lodgers, she caught the infection and fell into the same rigid and statue-like appearance. No scene more striking was ever exhibited, and if Mrs. Calvert had not resumed strength of mind to speak and break the spell, it is impossible to say how long it might have continued. It is he, I believe, said she, uttering the words as it were inwardly. It can be none other but he. But no, it is impossible. I saw him stabbed through and through the heart. I saw him roll backward on the green in his own blood, utter his last words, and groan away his soul. Yet, if it is not he, who can it be? It is he, cried Mrs. Logan hysterically. Yes, yes, it is he, cried the landlady in unison. It is who, said Mrs. Calvert. Whom do you mean, mistress? Oh, I don't know, I don't know. I was affrighted. Hold your peace till you recover your senses, and tell me, if you can, who that young gentleman is who keeps company with the new laird of Dahl Castle. Oh, it is he, it is he, screamed Mrs. Logan, wringing her hands. Oh, it is he, it is he cried the landlady, wringing hers. Mrs. Calvert turned the ladder gently and civilly out of the apartment, observing that there seemed to be some infection in the air of the room, and she would be wise for herself to keep out of it. The two dames had a restless and hideous night. Sleep came not to their relief, for their conversation was wholly about the dead who seemed to be alive, and their minds were wandering and groping in a chaos of mystery. Did you attend to his corpse, and know that he positively died and was buried? said Mrs. Calvert. Oh, yes, from the moment that his fair but mangled corpse was brought home. I attended it till that when it was screwed in the coffin. I washed the long strips of blood from his lifeless form on both sides of the body. I bathed the livid wound that passed through his generous and gentle heart. There was one through the flesh of his left side, too, which had bled mostly outward of them all. I bathed them and bandaged them up with wax and perfumed ointment, but still the blood oozed through all so that when he was laid in the coffin, he was like one newly murdered. My brave, my generous young master, he was always as a son to me, and no son was ever more kind or more respectful to a mother. But he was butchered. He was cut off from the earth, ere he had well reached to manhood, most barbarously and unfairly slain. And how is it, how can it be, that we again see him here, walking arm in arm with his murderer? The thing cannot be, Mrs. Logan. It is a fantasy of our disturbed imaginations. Therefore, let us compose ourselves till we investigate this matter farther. 
It cannot be in nature. That is quite clear, said Mrs. Logan. Yet, how it should be that I should think so? I, who knew and nursed him from his infancy. There lies the paradox. As you said once before, we have nothing but our senses to depend on. And if you and I believe that we see a person, why, we do see him. Whose word or whose reasoning can convince us against our own senses? We will disguise ourselves as poor women selling a few country wares, and we will go up to the hall and see what is to see and hear what we can hear, for this is a weighty business in which we are engaged, namely, to turn the vengeance of the law upon an unnatural monster, and we will further learn, if we can, who this is that accompanies him. Mrs. Calvert acquiesced, and the two dames took their way to Doll Castle, with baskets well furnished with trifles. They did not take the common path from the village, but went about, and approached the mansion by a different way. But it seemed as if some overruling power ordered it that they should miss no chance of attaining the information they wanted. For er, ever they came within a half mile of Doll Castle, they perceived the two ewes coming as to meet them, on the same path. The road leading from Doll Castle towards the northeast is all the country knows goes along a dark bank of brushwood called the Boggle Hooch. It was by this track that the two women were going, and when they perceived the two gentlemen meeting them, they turned back, and the moment they were out of their sight, they concealed themselves in a thicket close by the road. They did this because Mrs. Logan was terrified for being discovered and because they wished to reconnoiter without being seen. Mrs. Calvert now charged her, whatever she saw or whatever she heard, to put on a resolution and support it, for if she fainted there and was discovered, what was to become of her? The two young men came on, in earnest and vehement conversation. But the subject they were on was a terrible one, and hardly fit to be repeated in the face of a Christian community. Ringham was disputing the boundlessness of the true Christian's freedom, and expressing doubts that, chosen as he knew he was from all eternity, still it might be possible for him to commit acts that would exclude him from the limits of the covenant. The other argued, with mighty fluency, that the thing was utterly impossible and altogether inconsistent with eternal predestination. The arguments of the latter prevailed, and the laird was driven to sullen silence. But to the women's utter surprise, as the conquering disputant passed, he made a signal of recognizance through the brambles to them, as formerly and that he might expose his associate fully, and in his true colors he led him backwards and forwards by the women more than twenty times, making him to confess both the crimes that he had done 
and those he had in contemplation. At length he said to him, Assuredly, I saw some strolling vagrant women on this walk, my dear friend. I wish we could find them, for there is little doubt that they are concealed here in your woods. I wish we could find them, answered Ringham. We would have fine sport maltreating and abusing them. That we should, that we should. Now tell me, Robert, if you found a malevolent woman, the latent enemy of your prosperity, lurking in these woods to betray you, what would you inflict on her? I would tear her to pieces with my dogs and feed them with her flesh. Oh, my dear friend, there is an old strumpet who lived with my unnatural father, whom I hold in such utter detestation that I stand constantly in dread of her and would sacrifice the half of my estate to shed her blood. What will you give me if I will put her in your power and give you a fair and genuine excuse for making away with her, one for which you shall answer at the bar here or hereafter? I should like to see the vile hag put down. She is in possession of the family plate. That is mine by right, as well as a thousand valuable relics, and great riches besides, all of which the old profligate gifted shamefully away, and it is said, besides all these, that she has sworn my destruction. She has, she has, but I see not how she can accomplish that, seeing the deed was done so suddenly, and in the silence of the night. It was said there were some onlookers, but where shall we find that disgraceful Miss Logan? I will show you her by and by, but will you then consent to the other meritorious deed? Come, be a man, and throw away scruples. If you can convince me that the promise is binding, I will. Then step this way, till I give you a piece of information. They walked a little way out of hearing, but went not out of sight, therefore. Though the women were in a terrible quandary, they durst not stir, for they had some hopes that this extraordinary person was on a mission of the same sort with themselves, knew of them, and was going to make use of their testimony. Mrs. Logan was several times on the point of falling into a swoon, so much did the appearance of the young man impress her, until her associate covered her face that she might listen without embarrassment. But this latter dialogue roused different feelings within them, namely, those arising from eminent personal danger. They saw his waggish associate point out the place of their concealment to Ringham, who came towards them out of curiosity to see what his friend meant by what he believed to be a joke, manifestly without crediting it in the least degree. When he came running away, the other called after him, If she is too hard for you, call to me. As he said this, he hasted out of sight, in the contrary direction, apparently much delighted with the joke. 
Ringham came rushing through the thicket impetuously, to the very spot where Mrs. Logan lay squatted. She held the wrapping close about her head, but he tore it off and discovered her. The curse of God be on thee, said he. What fiend has brought thee here? And for what purpose art thou come? But whatever has brought thee, I have thee. And with that, he seized her by the throat. The two women, when they heard what jeopardy they were in from such a wretch, had squatted among the underwood at a small distance from each other, so that he had never observed Mrs. Calvert. But no sooner had he seized her benefactor than, like a wildcat, she sprung out of the thicket and had both hands fixed at his throat. One of them twisted in his stock in a twinkling. She brought him back over among the brushwood, and the two, fixing on him like two harpies, mastered him with ease. Then, indeed, was he woefully beset. He deemed for a while that his friend was at his back, and turning his bloodshot eyes towards the path, he attempted to call. But there was no friend there, and the women cut short his cries by another twist of his stalk. Now, gallant and rightful Laird of Dahl Castle, said Mrs. Logan, what hast thou to say for thyself? Lay thy account to dree the weird thou hast so well earned. Now shalt thou suffer due to penance for murdering thy brave and only brother. Thou liest, thou hag of the pit! I touch not my brother's life. I saw thee do it with these eyes that now look thee in the face. Ay, when his back was to thee too, and while he was hotly engaged with thy friend, said Mrs. Calvert. I heard thee confess it again and again this same hour, said Mrs. Logan. Ay, and so did I, said her companion. Murder will out though the Almighty should lend hearing to the ears of the willow and speech to the seven tongues of the woodruff. You are liars and witches, said he, foaming with rage, and creatures fitted from the beginning for eternal destruction. I'll have your bones and your blood sacrificed on your cursed altars. Oh, Gilmartin, Gilmartin, where art thou now? Here, here is the proper food for blessed vengeance. Hilloa! There was no friend, no Gil Martin there to hear or assist him. He was in the two women's mercy, but they used it with moderation. They mocked, they tormented, and they threatened him. But finally, after putting him in great terror, they bound his hands behind his back, and his feet fast with long straps of garters, which they chanced to have in their baskets, to prevent him from pursuing them till they were out of his reach. As they left him, which they did in the middle of the path, Mrs. Calvert said, We could easily put an end to thy sinful life, but our hands shall be free of thy blood. 
Nevertheless, thou art still in our power, and the vengeance of thy country shall overtake thee. Thou mean and cowardly murderer! Ay, and that more suddenly than thou art aware. End of section 10